my gosh, what a beautiful week in the state of Indiana. I mean, come on. I dream, dream of these weeks. Hopefully we have weeks and not just days before it shifts to the winter. I love me some fall. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer. So great to be with you. Big show lined up. Of course, we're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to the number two, driven to save lives.org. We thank them for allowing this to come your way each and every Saturday. Today is the middle of October. It's hard to believe we are now days away from the major holidays and everything else. So much stress and pressure. How about getting out into one of our state forests, one of our state parks and properties today? The assistant state forester. Uh, Steve Schneck is going to join us. They have some open houses coming up. Always important to get feedback, especially when it comes to forestry. And I think there's going to be nine of them. So Steve's going to be talking about when, where, how and why, plus a little bit about forestry management, which I think is so incredibly fascinating. Nick Echterling is the property manager at Jasper Pulaski Fish and Wildlife Area. Why Jasper Pulaski today? Well, if you've listened to this show, you know how much I love the migration of the Sandhill Cranes, and they have started. There's a web page where you can get a daily count, but Nick's going to bring us up to speed on the migration status, which will be getting larger and larger each and every week. Looking forward to that chat. That chat. Also, poaching is a big problem here and in every part of the country. We're going to talk to our law enforcement folks about what you can do to help stop illegal poaching. Maybe you're familiar with 1-800-TIP-IDNR. I don't know. We've been saying it here for a long time. Nonetheless, when we come back, we're going to talk a little forestry. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show, and I'm your host, Brian Pointer. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. What a beautiful weekend. What a great place. To experience fall, and I'm glad we've had just a little bit of fall. My my hope isn't that the uh, bottom falls out. We can enjoy a little fall weather here for the next week or two uh, and get out and enjoy all the great Indiana outdoors, of course, brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to savelives.org. Sign up to be an organ and tissue donor. Save up to eight lives. Heal up to 75 others. It's free. No health screenings. You can do it when you buy your hunting and fishing license. Just do it. And I, your host, Brian Pointer, as mentioned at the top of the hour, kind of a diverse show today, but so many important topics and forestry is at the top of them. No better time to get out and feel their forest than this time of the year. But Brad Schneck joins me now. He is the assistant state forester for Indiana. And Brad, it's great to visit with you. How you been? Doing good. Thanks, Brian, for having me and look forward to sharing some information with the folks and I'm, I'm too, like you, enjoy the weather. I'm going to get out uh, later today to enjoy the outdoors. As you should each and every day. And, you know, what a beautiful job. Did you just wake up as a young guy one day and said, I'm going to be a state forester? Or was this like a life mission of yours? How'd you end up where you are? Uh, well, I actually grew up heavily hunting and fishing and, and being around farm um, equipment stuff and I went to school for business and quickly realized that was not what I wanted to do the rest <laughs> of my Switched gears, went to Purdue, visited, uh, spent some time with uh, one of the refuge managers, the things they did there. And then uh, from there, just that's all I focused on was forest management. 
Well, there's no better vocation, certainly, and one that's so vital in so many ways. But it's also one of those things that seems to be a lightning rod. Um, you know, it's one of those that everybody's got, they don't know diddly poo about forest management, but they all got opinions, right? And in yeah. those opinions, you you have to kind of work with that, but it seems like it's always an uphill struggle. And I know that you guys have some open houses coming up uh, for people to, I assume, to kind of hear from you and you from them and, and have some dialogue. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Uh, we have nine open houses coming up beginning on Monday, the 17th, which we'll have Jackson, Washington, and Asel Meyer out of Jackson, Washington State Forest. We'll have Owen Putnam, and we'll have Martin State Forest. Those are all 4 to 7 p.m. with a 5 p.m. guided hike if they choose to. That will all meet at the office. Like all the open houses, the hikes will begin from the office, and then uh, they're all 4 to 7 then on the 18th, we have Clark State Forest, Ferdinand Pike State Forest, and Salamone River, Francis Slocum at the Salamone River office. And then on the 19th, we have Morgan Monroe, which at the Morgan Monroe facility there in Martinsville, which will be for Morgan Monroe, Ravinia, Yellowwood, and Mount T State Forest. And then Harrison Crawford and Green Sullivan. We'll wrap up there on the 19th. You know, so valuable. And I know you've always, your division in particular, has always made yourself available to Hoosiers for questions and, and explanations. And every time I've heard our division of forestry led by Jack Seifert, one of my favorite people, um, what a monumental uh, amount of knowledge and expertise in forest management. How many how many uh, acres, is that the right way to describe? How many acres are now in state forest? Yes. Um, we have currently 160,251.8 acres that we manage across 15 state forests to, to what we call kind of like forest retreats, um, one of them being Cover Bridge, which the end, the, the recreational piece is being managed by parks right now. And then we have the two SRAs. Starve and Dean that are our property, but the recreation side of those two facilities are managed by parks. And we have a lot to offer. I mean, a lot of people don't realize we're a multiple use, multiple benefits management philosophy division. We have over three, 430 miles of hiking, horse, biking. We have five fire towers that three of them people can get up in the cabs and, and actually view long distances to see what it was like back in the day when they were manned. We have over 900 campsites, including rental camp cabins, family cabins, um, youth, group, horse, family, dispersed camping along the AT, the KT, and the Tecumseh. have over 160 lakes across our 160 acres. We have a gun range, an archery range, many shelters, many can be rented, vistas, picnic areas, and playgrounds. Wow. You know, just hearing you say that, I knew it was such a broad division but that's just kind of sums it up that's a big responsibility and what's the overall philosophy of managing that 160,000 acres what's what have you tried to share as an evangelist for forestry to the citizens out there yeah and that's one of the unique things about our division is we we actively manage the forest our mission protect and conserve the timber water water, oil and related forest resources for the use and enjoyment of 
present and future generations and to demonstrate that proper force management across our landscape and be a kind of educator to landowners to model after. Um, It's one of the things we hold very dear to our hearts. I mean, that's what all of us went to school to to understand and learn, and um, we continue to do that today. And it seems like it's always a fight for whatever reason, you know, management of the forest involves cultivating and the proceeds of a lot of that cultivation goes back to the local communities as well in the form of grants and other things, correct? That's correct. 15% of our proceeds go back, our net proceeds go back to the county in which that timber was removed. And that goes to firefighting and uh, public safety and other resources. So it's a valuable thing. How how is the management style changing, if at all, for the state of Indiana? Is there any watershed? Are we in the middle of a plan? Where are we at in the process of forestry management in Indiana? Well, I mean, we're still, every day is to us is a great day because we continue to get to do the things we enjoy and to protect and sustain what we have. The Probably one of the biggest challenges we have facing us is the declining in oak uh, we see it in the overstory. Our data shows it, but we don't see it as much in the understory. So we've been taking measures to to do different things that help to encourage that oak to be main, maintained, perpetuated in the understory uh, for future. For the future generations, that's always good. We hear a lot about the emerald ash borer. Has that wreaked havoc in the forest? So, yes, the wave is pretty much seems to be the big wave is over, uh, lost a lot of mortality. We saw that in some of our data as well. Um, we'll start seeing our mortality numbers drop from that as most of it's already waved through. But um, we'll, we still see it in the understory and occasionally still see live trees, you know, more smaller salt timber, larger salt timber periodically around. So they didn't all get zapped but um the bulk of them did yeah it was a it was a bad thing for sure you know there's this i'm going to try to boil it down you know you got some folks that go to one side of the extreme that says a tree should never be cut it's mother nature's work and just let it alone do nothing and then there's the other side whatever end of the spectrum you want to go for that uh both sides never really work but as a forest manager what what do you tell people who say we should never cut a tree? Well, I, I, I what I used to say a lot when I did school talks was the first thing I'd start off with was, do we all live in the same house and do we all live in the same neighborhoods? And the answer is no. And the same is for wildlife. There's a lot of wildlife out there that depend on early successional forest habitat, you know, medium age and older age for us. And by us managing the way we do, we create that diverse habitat across the landscape, um, giving a mosaic pattern of those different structures and different age classes. You know, I've never heard it put that way, and I'm going to steal that because, you know, I occasionally get the question because I'm certainly not on the spectrum of never cut a tree, proper forest management. I have infinite faith in you and Jack and the other foresters and the managers in, in Indiana as a very prudent and responsible management philosophy. But I'm going to steal that one because the way that it's hard to describe, it's hard to deny the logic of what you just said. And there are so many things like the rough grouse, for example, that would benefit from clearing that understory and we could bring back grouse. But, you know, they've gone by the wayside on a endangered list. 
I, it's a it's a never ending struggle. So you did a lot of school talks. I imagine you got some honest answers from the kids too, huh? Got a lot of laughter from them. <laughs> I bet you did. So as you're going out there and you look ahead of our of our neighboring states, where do you think Indiana's forest management policy is? Are we do we have a lot more forestry under management compared to our neighbors? Less? Where do you think we stand? Well, I like to think we're we're the best at managing the, the forest. Um, I always will since I'm here in Indiana. But you know, you get about Kentucky's got a lot more forest land. You know, Illinois less. You know, Ohio a little more. So I still to this day believe we do the best. Um, we follow the best science available. We have the luxury of having universities here and, and nearby that produce a lot of good. Long as, as well as some of our staff are involved with some things like the study there at Morgan Monroe. Yep, I've been down there and I've been party to that through the Natural Resources Commission and have seen the work that you guys have done in the study and the science because that's always important. So if you go out to a party this weekend, I'm curious in your role, Brad, as the assistant state forester, you go out to a party this weekend and introduce yourself and they say, what do you do? What's the first questions that what are some of the questions that people ask you that are commonplace that you would like for people to know about what you do when they say, hey, I'm the state forester. What do you tell them you do? Well, I, I tell them I basically manage people, but um, I like <laughs> to make sure they understand that what we're about and what we do and why we do it, I think, is the critical part. It's more than just cutting a tree to make money. It is about sustaining what we got. You know, we, you know, another little phrase I've always said, you don't plant seed in a garden and then walk away and hope that a month later you get all the fruits you want. No, you have to tend to it periodically through the weeks and days to make sure that what you've got there is there at the end for your fruit. I agree wholeheartedly, and it's easier said than done. What do you hope to achieve? What do you think people are going to bring to these open houses? Maybe some things that you're not anticipating, some things that you're anticipating. What's on people's minds when they come to these open houses that you just described? Well, one thing I'd like to point out is our open houses are one of several public input opportunities they have. And we have a couple web-based portals. One is for public commenting. One is a really just a contact us portal. They can ask questions, inquire about things. The other, we have satisfaction surveys that they mail in. They have self-registration envelopes when they when they put their money in for camping. They can make notes there and comments. And they can directly reach out to our property manager, central office staff, through emails or phone. We, we get that a lot. And then there's the, the occasional letters that get mailed to ourselves um, as well. But these open house events provide the public an opportunity to interact face-to-face, one-on-one with the staff that doesn't always get to happen throughout the year because everybody's busy. Um, they're at a time that, you know, four to seven is a great time when most people are off work. Um, it gives them an opportunity to come and just see the view displays or information on the facilities, projects, past and upcoming, forest management, recreational improvements, and make their comments and suggestions. Um, we hear a lot, you know, about the, oh, don't cut this, cut less. We hear about recreational improvements. All those things, we, we hear them. We, obviously, we can't, we don't have a big pot of money that we can do things on, the, you know, regularly. But we do what we can with the budgets we're provided, and we feel like we do a pretty good job of it. 
balance in that across all that multiple use, multiple benefits offering. It's a very d- difficult job because, as you said, there's the balance of public use versus forest management and science versus recreation, and you do a great job of all of that. I did s- I'm so glad you kind of read through the litany of all the great other opportunities in our state parks and for uh, state forest lands uh, with the cabins and the camping and other things. Real quick, where can people go to get information on these open houses or the Division of Forestry? Um, you can go to our webpage and go to public comment area, and there's a section on open houses, and it'll it lists all the open houses, when they are, where they are, addresses, and then you can also call each state forest office and ask more questions on the time if you can't find that. There's also, if you can't make the open house, you can go to that open house link, um, and they'll, you can say submit a comment online, and you click that link, and it'll take you right to where you can submit a comment if you can't make it to one of the three open houses. Brad, it's one great. Of the, it's, let's just say on those three days. It's so good to have you be a part of it. Great job in forestry. Best to Jack and all your team, and we look forward to a lot of Hoosiers coming to the open house. And thanks for keeping America, keep, keeping the Hoosier forest uh, healthy and profitable. Thanks for being a part of Indiana Outdoors. Hey, thanks for having us, Brian. My pleasure. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I, your host, Brian Pointer. We're going to be back right after this. We're going to go up to Jasper Pulaski and talk about Sandhill Cranes right after this. Oh my gosh, what a beautiful place to be this time of the year. None better than the Hoosier State. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer. Of course, brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. You can sign up to be that important owner, organ and tissue donor when you buy your hunting and fishing license. This is just my favorite time of the year, riddled with so many great traditions. So many places to visit, fairs, festivals, and certainly just getting out and see the the forest. Well, Jasper Pulaski Fish and Wildlife Area is one of my favorite places to go this time of the year in beautiful Madaryville, Indiana. None better to talk to than Nick Echterling, who is the property manager at Jasper Pulaski. Nick, it's been a minute since we talked. It's been about this time last year. How are things at Jasper Pulaski? Oh, they're doing well, Brian. Uh, glad to be on, and yeah. Everything seems to be uh, into fall swing up there. In addition to just a beautiful property, you've got the migration of the sandhill cranes, which we'll get to. But what else goes on up at Jasper Pulaski? So many opportunities for hunters and fishermen. Yeah, that's true. Uh, hunting seasons are starting to ramp up. Um, deer season, archery season just opened October 1st. And actually this weekend we have youth waterfowl and uh, veterans waterfowl hunt. So. Looking forward to that. A lot of activity, certainly at all of our parks and properties. But one of the highlights this time of the year where you become kind of a national focus because people come from all over the country to see this migration of the Sandhill Cranes. And it's unique to, it's you know, people have seen or heard these birds oftentimes, but many times you can't hear them. Such a beautiful, melodious sound, often flying very, very high, sometimes in V pattern, similar to Canada geese. But it's just one of the most relaxing sounds in all of nature highlighted this time of the year. Why Jasper Pulaski? Yeah, so we're uh, right in the middle of their their flyway. So they're nesting north of here in Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota. And as they make their way south to Georgia and Florida, 
we're, we're right on that flyway. So they stop here, fuel up, hang out for a few weeks, and continue the migration south. It's just absolutely spectacular with the viewing platform that is in place up there. Do you know the history of that? How long has that been there? Um, the original platform was put up in the 80s, and that was the part with the roof on it and the walls. And we actually just redid that this year. We demolished that old part, and we put up a brand-new roof over a section of the newer tower. And the newer tower was completed in the early 2000s. And, you know, it's ironic that every time I go up there, uh, usually early in the morning, later in the afternoon, when they're kind of coming in and going out to their feeding grounds, but they come back to this beautiful, massive uh, prairie and this tower that we're talking about gives people an opportunity to take their cameras and their binoculars and their spotting scopes and all the great stuff that goes along with seeing these majestic birds. And there's license plates from all over the Midwest. It's just truly a unique opportunity. I know that's something that you kind of have to take pride in. Oh, yeah, for sure. We've we've got visitors from all over and and even farther from the Midwest, uh, seen plates from Colorado and other places out west. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a destination for bird watchers. So these birds typically start showing up, and I know that uh, you've sent out some reports already, and there's a website if people want to follow. But when, how does this peak? In other words, how does these birds showing up, there's daily arrivals, if you will, and you say they stay for a few weeks. What's the peak when people can see the most on property historically? Yeah, uh, the, the peak is usually the last week in November, or first week of December, right in there. And uh, we still, still seen cranes the end of September, and, and we build until the end of November there. And typically those peak numbers over the last 10 years have been between twenty and 30,000 birds. And they fly in these beautiful formations, and this tower, literally, they'll fly right over the top of you like they're landing on the deck of a ship. And then they go through this beautiful ritual out in the... Uh, fields that you can watch, you can listen, and it really does kind of put you into a trance, doesn't it? It really does. It's, it's uh, yeah. If you go out there at sunset, you got the beautiful sunset going on. You got cranes flocking in, like you said, usually just a few feet over your head if you're there on the tower. They're they're actually pretty close to you, and it's just uh, if, if you've never done it before, it's something that's really special. We're visiting with Nick Echterling. He's the property manager at Jasper Pulaski Fish and Wildlife Area. Tell us where this is so that people can get a perspective. It's not far from everybody. Yeah, so we're located uh, just north of Madariville, Indiana, and uh, we're right off of US 421. We're about an hour and a half south of Chicago, a couple hours north of Indianapolis, a good central location for people. It is indeed, and I absolutely, uh, there's just nothing better to me and more relaxing than getting in the car and really not having a destination in mind, but kind of going to an area and driving around and with purpose going up to the Jasper Pulaski Fish and Wildlife Area, you get to see some beautiful countryside, and I'm sure the leaves have started to turn down south, the RDR, we had a big turn this week, I felt like, what about up your way? Yeah, it's really starting to look like fall now. We've had a, a couple frosts. We had a real good frost over the weekend, and we've got some orange and reds and yellows. It, it really looks like fall out there right now. 
So if people, there's no charge for this, what are the best times and when do you advise people to come to take advantage of seeing these birds? Yes, if you're primarily interested in looking at the cranes, uh, best times to come out are around sunrise or sunset. Uh, The cranes, they roost out in our marshes and our wetlands in the center of the property at night. And when they leave them wetlands in the morning to go feed in the agriculture fields is a good time to see them. And in the evening when they're coming back to roost, a lot of times you mentioned that prairie, that pasture area in front of the tower. When they're coming back in the evening, they'll land out there. You can see them real good. And then they'll pick up and go to the marsh. And, uh, yeah, so either early in the day or late in the day is the two best times. Nick, I know you keep a good website. What, where do people keep track of all the birds coming up there and get you what you need to know? Yeah, so if you go to uh, indiana.gov slash DNR, and then if you go to properties, you'll have you'll find Jasper Pulaski there, and then we have a link to our Sandhill Crane Fall Migration page, and that'll have the counts, and you can actually go there and sign up for an email. So anytime we update that, you'll get an email, the new number, and uh, generally do our counts on Tuesday morning unless we get weathered out. So. From first week of October until the last week of December, we'll be counting cranes and posting them numbers. Thank you so much for doing that. It's such a great opportunity. Madariville, Jasper Pulaski, Fish and Wildlife Area. Nick, always great to visit with you. Thanks for being a part of Indiana Outdoors and welcoming all those Hoosiers up there to see these birds. Yeah, no problem. I enjoyed it, Brian. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show brought to you by Indiana Donor Network. Truly one of my favorite places. Great person in Nick for being with us and great job up at Jasper Pulaski. We're going to be back. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show and I am your host, Brian Pointer, right after this. Indiana Outdoor Show. What a beautiful weekend here. What a great couple of weeks we've had. Finally getting down to this little frost, a little little into the 30s. It's football weather. God love it. It's a great time to be out in the great Indiana outdoors. It's a great time to be at Jasper Pulaski Fish and Wildlife Area. Thanks to uh, Nick Echterling for the update on this migration of the Sandhill Cranes. Great update from forestry and their open houses. Now, as we all know, we are in the midst of hunting season. And our men and women that wear the green uniforms in law enforcement, Captain Jack Quillen joins me now. How have you been? I know it's two weeks in a row, and here we are. Yeah, yeah, that must be another lucky day for me, but we're doing great, thanks. You should go buy yourself a lottery ticket. This is a glorious day. Absolutely. So we are in hunting season, and with that brings a lot of faces into the woods maybe for the first time in a year or so and traditions and this time of the year can is just ripe with so many great things to do and traditions but unfortunately one of the not so great traditions is poaching in the state of indiana and i saw some press releases in the last month or so that kind of is bringing attention and frankly picked up around the state in a lot of mainstream media about the request for hunters to be on alert and to help stop poaching how big of a problem is that, Captain? Uh, it's a very big problem. Um, I don't want to say it's a rampant issue across the state, but we, we, we see it 
every season. Um, and it's, it's something that we, uh, we obviously take very serious and, and we want the, uh, the public to realize that it's, uh, it's uh, essentially is the theft of uh, every citizen's wildlife in the state of Indiana. Poaching is the, is the, is stealing wildlife from, you know, every citizen we have in the state of Indiana. And uh, we, we like to put a stop to that. Well, everybody would, but that I know that hunts, abhors those that are poachers and i would tell you 99.9 percent of anybody who calls themselves a hunter or a conservationist or who buys a license do things in the right way but as we all know there's an element that doesn't and there's only so many law enforcement eyes and ears out there ready willing and able to serve and protect but they need information how can hoosiers help yeah. So, and it's not just any hunter. It's it's anybody, any citizen that's out, uh, any any person that that lives in an area where they see something and it's uh, they think to themselves that just doesn't look right. Um, I, I know people aren't supposed to be hunting there, or um, they hear that gunshot early in the morning when they're they're going to work, um, uh, or late at night when they're either, you know laying in bed. And uh, th- those are the uh, those are the, the instances we we need to know about, and in, and we can be alerted to that by just simply calling 1-800-TIP-IDNR. That's 1-800-847-4367. And um, you can make a tip, and it can be an anonymous tip. Um, or if you re- can request a, a, a reward if you like, um, and if we make an arrest uh, from your tip, you can get a $500 reward for that. You know, we talk and have ended this show for 24 years with me signing off with 1-800-TIP- IDNR, and I don't know if it makes a difference or not, but in the age that we live in today, from when I started hunting 40 years ago, everybody takes a cell phone with them into the woods, and I don't even know if it's cell. They take a mobile device of some sort into the woods with them, and there's apps that help you make be a better hunter. There's weather. There's communication with your fellow hunting party. There's so many reasons that that would be good, and just from a safety standpoint, if you have a signal, if something happens, you've got a way to communicate. Well, that wasn't the case. You ain't taking a bag phone back in 40 years ago, and you didn't have the technology to check in animals on the site or at a computer. Technology's just changed. This should change and revolutionize the amount of information that comes to you by way of people sitting in the diner or sitting in the the guys getting their hair cut, and somebody says something, and you go, boy, that's just not right. That 1-800-TIP number, what happens when somebody calls in and say, I don't know about this, I heard something? What goes on after the call? Yeah, so that that call will go to our 24-7 dispatch center. And um, our dispatchers will will take down that information, and then they will uh, send that information to uh, a a local officer in that area for them to investigate that. And then, yeah, it it doesn't have to be, um, I saw this person do this. It can be, hey, I heard, uh, you know, uh, John Doe down the road, um, you know, is, it took three bucks this season. And, um, you know, that's just not right. That's not right for everybody else that's doing it the right way. Um, so, um, you know, they can call that information in and, and have an officer um, made aware and, and, and able to investigate that and, and put an end to it. Because essentially it's, it's just not fair to the people that do it right. And it's not fair for the citizens that, that enjoy the, the natural resources we have. We're here to protect them and, and, and conserve them. We want them here for for generations to come. And, and, and that's why we, we're so passionate about stopping illegal poaching. 
Well, it's a worthy pursuit. Captain Jet Quillen from our law enforcement division, regular guest here. We're talking about poaching in the state of Indiana. And like you said, you hear about it in certain areas. You hear about notorious stories of maybe an individual or somebody in an area. But it's not a I don't want to say it's a wholesale rampant problem. But there's this if you see something, say something or if you hear something, say something in our in our world today. And a lot of people, frankly, are just hey, I don't want to get involved. I'm not going to put my my phone out there or my name out there. And what, what's important here is you don't have to do that, right? Correct. No, you can remain anonymous. It, it can just be, hey, um, I don't want to give my name, but I heard this is going on in this area, and it can be as simple as that. Or I know this person is doing this, um, and it can be as simple as that. You don't have to, to, to give your name, um, and it just is giving our officers a heads up of, hey, there's an issue here, um, and we need to look into it. And you know what I've found in talking to law enforcement officials over the years who are in these districts and in their areas and on the back roads and knowing the farmers and knowing the people that hunt and having relationships, oftentimes they hear different things, bits and pieces. So maybe that little tip is just something to help add to their file of information to make close a case or maybe take something and make it into something that they thought they heard from someplace else. So all information is good information. And the point being that it's our responsibility. And I think the message to Hoosiers is take this very seriously, pick up the phone, uh, get out of the field, go make a phone call and let the law enforcement officers who are trained to do this handle it. It may come to something, it may come to nothing, but you're doing the right thing. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, Captain, it's always great to visit with you. And uh, I know you've been a longtime um, evangelist, as have I, for the TIP hotline program. They do such great work. Volunteers needed. And do other do other states have a TIP line like this? Just curious. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's something that most states will have. Yeah. Now, we've had ours since the, the early to mid-80s. Um, uh, we've, we've had ours for a while. And it's something, you know, we... We, we try to promote year-round, but obviously when it gets closer to the deer yep. season, it uh, gets a little more uh, hot topic. But um, it, it's not just for deer. It's for, for any game animal. Um, so if the, if you hear anything, don't hesitate to, to call that number. Captain, always great to visit with you. Maybe we'll give you a break next weekend. Go on vacation or something. We won't call you next week. We appreciate you as always. Thank you. Appreciate it. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer, brought to you by Indiana Donor Network. Great to visit with Captain Quillen. All the great men and women support them this hunting season. We're going to be back right after this. my word, such a great time to be with all of you here on Network Indiana, all these stations that carry Indiana Outdoors. It's my favorite time of the year. What a beautiful weekend. We got full lineup of football. We got fall festivals and fairs and pumpkin patches. My gosh, so many great things to do. We talked with our friends at Jasper Pulaski Fish and Wildlife Area and the migration of the Sandhill Crane. Such a beautiful beautiful sight. If you have not seen this, I'm telling you, and you don't know what a sandhill crane looks or sounds like, go to the DNR webpage, go to Jasper Pulaski, and then you're going to say, oh, now I know what that is. Because oftentimes they fly so high you can't see them. But this opportunity at Jasper Pulaski allows you to see thousands of these huge, majestic, prehistoric-looking 
beautiful creatures uh, up at Jasper Pulaski. So thank you for uh, Nick bringing us up to speed. Check out the daily counts up there. Poaching is a big problem. Two weekends in a row we get Captain Jet Quillen from law enforcement. They work so hard this time of the year. That 1-800-TIP-IDNR might be familiar if you've listened to us at all. We've been doing that at the end of every show, and that's a valuable tool for law enforcement to uh, help stop not just poaching but other illegal activities and allow the folks to protect our wildlife to do their job. Forestry has big open house plans starting next week, nine of them if you have any interest in forest policy here in the state of Indiana. We, uh, we heard from the assistant state forester about those nine opportunities at state forests. Your input always welcome and needed. Folks, enjoy this beautiful weekend. Indeed, it is spectacular. And I will look forward to seeing you next week, seeing the great Indiana outdoors. Remember, turn in a poacher, 1-800-TIP-IDNR. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mm-hmm.